the strategy of immunotherapy continues to grow in the cancer treatment landscape and stimulation of interferon genes may be a key player in cancer immunotherapy. So what do we need to know about this genetic pathway? Welcome to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and joining me to talk about the STING pathway, a novel treatment pathway for cancer, is Dr. Sean Lawler. Dr. Lawler is Associate Professor in the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Dr. Lawler, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It'd be a pleasure to speak to you today. To start, Dr. Lawler, please tell us about the STING pathway. What do we know? The STING pathway was identified in about 2009 by Glenn Barber, whose lab is at the University of Miami. And Glenn is a biologist who studies pathogens and the responses to pathogens in humans and other mammals. And he was interested in what stimulates interferon genes, because interferon genes are one of the key mediators of antiviral immunity. And so to understand antiviral and antipathogen immunity, Glenn searched for a gene or an enzyme in the cell that would respond to viruses and other types of stimulus that would indicate a pathogen infection. And he came across this protein called STING, which is in the cytoplasm of our cells, and it stands for Stimulator of Interferon Genes. And what STING does is it acts as a central hub that coordinates incoming signals that are associated with a pathogen infection and then leads to the activation of a transcriptional program that leads to the production of interferon genes, which then lead to a coordinated immune response, which can ultimately lead to the elimination of a pathogen. And so the pathway really consists of an upstream enzyme, which is called C-gas. And C-gas is a sensor of double-stranded DNA in the cytosol of cells. And double-stranded DNA should not be in your cytosol because double-stranded DNA is normally in the nucleus where all the chromosomes reside. So when a pathogen infects and double-stranded DNA may accumulate in the cytosol, C-gas sees it. And it turns on this enzyme called C-gas, which produces a a cyclic dinucleotide, just a small molecule composed of an adenosine and a guanosine molecule. And this cyclic dinucleotide will go on and bind to sting and cause a conformational change, which then activates this downstream transcriptional program. One of the very interesting things about this cyclic dinucleotide, because it's a simple chemical, it can be easily mimicked. And so pharmacologists and chemists have been able to synthesize analogs of this cyclic dinucleotide, various kinds. There are a number of molecules like this that can be added exogenally to activate the sting pathway, which can stimulate immunity. It can stimulate inflammatory responses, which can be useful in a number of different situations. But what my lab studies is its use in cancer treatment. And the sting pathway has emerged as a very important potential target in cancer immunotherapy in recent years. Dr. Lawler, that was a fantastic tour through the nucleus and the cytosol. You mentioned it was just really last decade or so that this sting pathway was discovered. It sounds like this is part of our immune system. Is that right? That's correct. It's a very important component of innate immunity, in fact. So innate immunity is the sort of first line of of our immune system that recognizes pathogens as they infect and start to get inside cells. And there are a number of components, actually, of this type of pathogen sensing system in in our cells. And Sting is only one of those, in fact. But it seems to be a very important one. And I think that one of its major strengths 
is that it is targetable pharmacologically rather easily. And I think that that's led to the development of and, and of the interest in this pathway as a, as a potential target. And then the activation of these innate pathways, of course, then has to link to our adaptive immunity, which, and the adaptive immunity consists of T cells and B cells, which make antibodies and, and kill cells that are infected by viruses. So th- this is really the first step of our immune system, this pathogen sensing. Now, what about cancer therapy itself. There is a known tumor. I think you mentioned that there actually is a way to synthesize some of the components of this sting pathway and maybe uh, ramp it up. And is that going to help us treat cancers? Potentially. So I'm going to rewind a little bit and tell you a little bit about the tumor that I work on. Um, Just to put it into context, we work on on a brain cancer called glioblastoma. And glioblastoma affects about 10 to 15,000 people a year in the United States. It's a really aggressive form of cancer, one of the most aggressive you can get. The median survival is about 12 to 15 months, perhaps a little bit more. And the the treatment that's given to patients is a chemotherapy, radiation and surgery. And they all inevitably decline. About 10 years ago, we were very encouraged, though, by data from other cancers that showed that activating immunity could lead to amazing responses. And this is the subject of immune checkpoint blockade, which is pretty well known now. So in patients with advanced melanoma, you can reactivate the immune system using antibodies that block negative signals that go to T cells. But basically the tumor is trying to trick the immune system and hide from it. And so if you can overcome those mechanisms, you might lead to an anti-tumor response so you can resolve the tumor completely naturally. Now, in glioblastoma, the trials with immune checkpoint blockade to try and uncloak the tumor in that way have not really shown great responses. So glioblastoma does not respond to this incredible therapy that works quite well in other tumor types. And so the question really is partly why, and and there can be many reasons why. But the other question is, and this is what my group has been trying to address in the lab, is can we add other therapies to glioblastoma that might help this immune checkpoint blockade to work better. So is this tumor so immunosuppressive that even the, the therapies that work in other cancer types don't really work in glioblastoma because there's other immunosuppressive pathways that are in place, right? And so I was inspired by some previous work I did with oncolytic viruses. So these are viruses that you inject into the tumor and those viruses can replicate, but more than that, they cause a, a, an immune response that can lead to tumor elimination in some cases. And so in animal models, I did a lot of work that was previously published using combinations of oncolytic viruses with immune checkpoint blockade and showing that we could clear tumors. And that work's gone into clinical trials. But I was really interested in the pathways involved. So these viruses are stimulating a number of pathways in cells. And so that led us to think about this sting pathway, which can be easily modulated. We plan to deliver it locally inside the tumor and cause a kind of trick the body into thinking that there's a pathogen infection, thus overcoming the local immunosuppressive mechanisms in the tumor, which are very strong, and then leading to the recruitment of immune cells like NK cells and T cells, which will act against the tumor itself. And we showed in our paper, actually, that if we add an immune checkpoint blockade antibody to this mix, that we can actually lead to the clearance of an otherwise resistant tumor in our mouse models. So that's the idea. It's really uh, setting off the fuse that will then heat up the immune system with inside the tumor to allow its recognition by uh, the adaptive immune system, which will then clear it. For those just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD.
I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and I'm here with Dr. Sean Lawler discussing the STING pathway for cancer immunotherapy. Dr. Lawler, thank you for giving us that overview and how the STING pathway may actually help treat tumors that have effectively masked themselves from the immune system. Where are we in the clinical application of this STING pathway? So beyond, beyond what, what my group is trying to do, there are others in my field around and about who have, who have developed sting agonists and who are currently in the process of starting the first phase one trials of sting agonists in glioblastoma. The first, I think, aspect that we have to understand is safety. And I think that's really particularly important in a cancer like glioblastoma, where your tumor is basically growing in the brain. If you overstimulate that tumor and inflammation becomes very high, then you, you run a serious risk of causing serious damage to the patient because swelling in the brain, as you know, is a high risk factor. So we have to work out, I think, initially the kind of dose of a sting agonist uh, to activate the pathway that would be suitable for its application in this particular context. If we're looking at other cancer types, then this, this becomes less of a problem. And then we're really focusing on just the right dose to get the right kind of response over the right duration. And I think that's also another challenge in this field in that when you turn on an immune response, one of the things the body does very quickly is to try to turn that immune response off again, because you don't want an unchecked immune, immune response in your body, which can then lead to autoimmunity and other, and, and other inflammatory consequences. So I think one of the key things with this approach is to understand how to apply it at the right dose for the right duration of time to achieve the right response. That's going to be a challenge, but I think that given our progress that's been very rapid over the last few years, we should be able to, to identify that and overcome it. So one potential risk of this kind of therapy is overdoing it, is getting an, an immune response that's so robust that it causes inflammation and edema and a downside, particularly in the brain. Are there any other adverse uh, effects that we can anticipate from activating this pathway? In terms of adverse effect, we've done some studies on cells in vitro. So one of the things you do when you're working on these things is take the drug, put it on some cells in vitro, see if it's toxic at high concentrations, that type of thing. Certainly, if you just look at a normal cell in vitro, these drugs are not toxic. They require the immune cells, companions, to induce the toxicity. So there's not going to be a direct toxic effect. So I think that the, that the limitations will really be immune-related, immune you know, over, overdoing it kind of consequences. There is some literature out there, and, and we, we would agree with that based on some of our experiments in our recent paper, that at high doses of sting agonists, you, you start to lose the effect because a strong sting activation actually ends up killing immune cells. Well, this is a really exciting avenue of research you have in your lab, and I guess probably internationally now, Dr. Lawler. Before we close, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? I would say that the final thoughts are, yes, this is one of a number of different types of approaches that could be potentially used to enhance immunotherapies for cancer. In my field, we're all very excited about it. A lot of us weren't immunologists before, but have now become uh, much better versed in the field. And we're all extremely excited, to, I think, to be part of the development of immunotherapies for cancer at this time in history. I think that it's going to be complex because cancers are all 
very unique, even the same within the same type of cancer. Um, there is a lot of heterogeneity and we have to learn to understand that. So we see that in our experiments when we add immunotherapies to our systems that different tumors, even of the same type, will respond differently. So there's a long way to go, but I think that we're really heading in the right direction. And our previous successes in the field with immunotherapy for melanoma and, and some other cancer types have really given us a lot of excitement about taking these types of ideas forward and, and really helping patients, hopefully in the foreseeable future. Well, with those thoughts in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Sean Lawler, for shedding light on this important topic. Dr. Lawler, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. For ReachMD, I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com neurofrontiers, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.